Uh, you can follow along this morning on Version, which is a free app for your phone or mobile device, or you can follow along just with the outline in the bulletin. Um, I also want to remind you, I mentioned last week, Ramadan, the Muslim holy month, is starting today, run through July the 5th. And this is an invitation to you to join in a global movement of Christians who are going to pray for Muslims during the month of Ramadan. Uh, You probably know that Jesus is a prophet in Islam. We are praying that they will come to know him in a deeper way, know him as their Lord and Savior. God loves people. He loves American people. He loves Texan people who are, by the way, American people, okay? He loves Muslim people as well. So if you're, if you're up to it, I'm just going to kind of build this into my all-in time uh, each day for the next month as I pray for Muslims, and I hope you'll join me. More information in the bulletin on that. All right, what we, you know this, but what we say, uh, the words that we use, they matter. They can bring pain or, uh, or joy to people around us. They can help, they can heal, or they can harm people. Consider a story I read this week. This is back from 1980. A young man named Willie Ramirez was admitted as an 18-year-old to a hospital in Florida. He was very bad off, comatose. His family and friends brought him there to the hospital. They did not speak English but we're trying to describe his condition to the staff and the doctors there at the hospital in Florida. They told the doctors and paramedics that Willie was intoxicado, intoxicado. Folks at the hospital deduced that they were saying that the man had had too much, probably a drug overdose, and they proceeded to treat him accordingly. But that's not exactly what it means in Spanish to be intoxicado. The real translation, or the best translation would be, he was poisoned. And so because of their treatments, as if it were a drug overdose, uh, and that was a misdiagnosis, he ended up permanently a, a quadriplegic. In the aftermath of that catastrophic translation error... Willie's life was changed forever. The family won a $70 million judgment against the hospital. One word. One word. Intoxicado. One $70 million word. What we choose to say, or oftentimes we choose not to say, will have a big impact on the people around us. And that's really uh, what we have been talking about As we've launched into this series, I never said that. Uh, This is God saying that about many of the things that we tell people to, to hopefully encourage them, to pick them up, to inspire them. As Christians, we often go a step further and say those things as if it is from the Word of God, as if it is from the mouth of God Himself. And I think oftentimes God hears us saying those trite things pithy little statements, and God is thinking, no, wait a second, I never said that. And last week we started out with a phrase that we have heard hundreds, thousands of times. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. It just sounds so true, so so truthy. Follow your heart. But we found in Scripture that is not at all 
what God's Word tells us. It tells us to be careful of our hearts. Our hearts, remember in Jeremiah 17, our hearts are deceivers. Our hearts are not to be trusted. And they can lead us, if, if we follow them, they can lead us to destructive, selfish, addictive places. And then we went to Psalm 119 and we saw the real counsel of God is not to follow your heart. It's to lead your heart, to shape your heart by exposing it to, by immersing it in, by training it with the Word of God. This morning's edition of I Never Said That comes from a phrase that I imagine we have heard dozens of times. One of our members suggested it on Facebook a couple of weeks ago, so here goes. Here's the phrase, God will never give you more than you can handle. God will never give you more than you can handle. Have you ever heard anyone say that? Have you ever heard anyone say that? God will never give you more. Now, I won't ask you, have you ever said that? Okay, I'll let you off the hook on that. But like follow your heart, this catchy, mm, uplifting little saying can be found in a lot of places, but not in the Bible. One of those places, of course, the fountain of knowledge and truth these days, the internet. God will never give you more than you can handle. I think I have a picture from the internet. Well, yeah, that one. That's so cute. It's got to be true. I mean, something that cute has got to be true, right? Uh, Another place you could find it is on this tattoo this fellow had put onto his his chest. He really went all in having it tattooed. God will never give me more than I can handle. So let's cut right to the chase. Cancel that appointment at the tattoo parlor because that's not in there. All right? The first thing you can write on on your outline this morning as to God will never give you more than you can can handle, God would reply, I never said that. I never said that. So just to kind of get going this morning, to kind of warm up a little bit, I'm going to give you just a few things to consider about this statement, God will never give you more than you can handle. The first thing, let's just get right to the chase, it's not in the Bible, all right? So number one, the Bible never says that. The Bible never says God will never give you more than you can handle. Not in there. Now, you may be thinking, wait a second. It seems like it is. It seems like something that, that uh, at least that idea is in there in the Scripture. No, it's not. And I think where we get that idea is from 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Because it sounds a little bit like that. All right? It goes like this. Paul writes, no temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be what? Tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are what? Tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. God won't give you more than you can handle. That's not what that says at all. It's talking about, obviously, temptation. Paul could hardly be more clear about that. Uh, It's saying you will always have a choice when it comes to sin. 
You will never be placed in a situation. God will never allow you to be placed in a situation where sin is your only option. So no, the Bible doesn't say there God will never give you more than you can handle unless, of course, you're talking about temptation. Now, the second myth buster, I guess, on this phrase that we use, number two on the outline, would be this. It would be that throughout history, people of faith, people who love God dearly, people who live for God have often, often faced more than they could handle. Okay? An old friend of mine, a mentor of mine, I don't think any of you know him. I will know who I'm talking about. But this is a Christian man who was a tremendous example to me, uh, shaped me in, in many ways. I owe him a great deal. Um, over time, just kind of his personality, just kind of the way he rolled, he just took on other people's challenges, other people's troubles. He just kind of put those on himself over and over and over again, just carrying all of that, piling that on top of his own troubles. And it became for him too much to bear. He had more than he could handle. I say that because he literally had a nervous breakdown. Went to a mental institution for a time, received lots of help uh, with drug therapies and with counseling, all sorts of things. Finally, he kind of got back to some sort of normalcy, was never the same. Then his teenage son, who he loved more than life itself, committed suicide. You think he didn't have more than he could handle? God will never give us more than we can handle. That's not in the Bible. And we know it's not something at work in the lives of the faithful. Um, there are examples, look, there are examples throughout Scripture. We like to think about, you know, David and Goliath and these stories where things end up all peachy, right? Well, a lot of the stories from Scripture are not like that. And it's not because people lacked faith. Look, Hebrews 11, the chapter of the Hall of Fame of faith, what it looks like when God's people have faith, this is probably not going to end up on a memory verse today in children's church, I would imagine. This is Hebrews eleven thirty-five to 38. You'll see what I mean here in a second. Others, these are God's people, the faithful. Others were tortured, refusing to turn from God in order to be set free. They placed their hope in a better life after the resurrection. Some were jeered at. Their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goat, destitute, oppressed, and mistreated. They were too good for this world, wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. So don't bank on, getting, on never getting more than you can handle. Um, I know people here in our church family who at this moment are going through one of those seasons where they have more than they can handle. Now, of course, I need to say this here. People of faith walk in confidence. People of faith walk in hope. Uh, not because we believe naively that God will never give us more than we can handle, but because we know life can never give us more than God can handle, okay? 
We're certainly going to have more than we can handle, but there's never going to be anything that our God cannot handle. Here's another myth buster to consider, number three. And I think this one's pretty obvious. You think about God will never give. Well, not everything, number three, not everything in life is God-given. Okay? So even if God will never give you more than you can handle, and we've already seen that's not true, but even if it were true... Um, The reality is not everything that you will have to handle, that you will face, is given to you from God. For example, um, and we could probably list out four or five different things here, but let's just do a couple here. For example, one, or, uh, or rather some, or maybe much, or maybe most, but let's just stick with some. Some of what we face is directly caused by our own personal choices, attitudes, and behaviors. Okay? A lot of what we face is because of what we have chosen and consequences of those choices. A lot of the grief, a lot of the challenge, a lot of the pain we have created, we have given to ourselves. If you've piled up $150,000 in debt and you are really struggling with that, hey, I feel for you. I do. But God wasn't the one who went out and put the Bugatti on your Visa card. You did that, okay? You gave yourself more than you could handle, right? Um, Decisions and choices that we make about our lives, in our lives, affect a whole range of outcomes for us. The decision, who are you going to date? Who are you going to marry? What kind of car are you going to buy? How much are you going to spend on that? How deeply in debt will you go on that mortgage payment for that home? Um, The decision about whether you're going to try recreational drugs, uh, the choice to play Counter-Strike all night online with your friends instead of studying for the math final the next day. Those are situations you have put yourself in. All right? Not everything you have to handle is God-given. God never gives us more than we can handle, even if it were true, okay? You very likely will give yourself more than you can handle. Galatians chapter 6, 7 to 9. This is a biblical principle. Do not be fooled. You cannot cheat God. People harvest only what they plant. Okay? If they plant to satisfy their selfish or their sinful selves, their sinful selves will what? Will bring them ruin. But if they plant to please the Spirit, they will receive eternal life from the Spirit. So... And obviously, you can go to a lot of different things, but beyond our choices, beyond our decisions, there are other things that are given to us that are not God-given. The Bible also tells us clearly from the beginning that some of what we face is caused by the evil that is at work in this fallen world. Look, even if you're making good choices, you may suffer, or you you will suffer, okay, as a result of, of the fact that you live in a fallen world. This is not... Heaven. This is not paradise. Jesus called Satan, Jesus called him, the prince of this world. 
in a passage that we're going to read in a couple of minutes. Paul says the hardest thing he has to handle, the hardest thing he has to deal with in his life is given to him by Satan. Um, So not everything we face in life is something God-given. Peter talks about this. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5, 8, be self-controlled and alert for your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour, right? So yeah, there are a lot of different myth busters when it comes to saying God will never give you more than you can handle But let's finish our time this morning going in a more positive direction, looking at what the Word of God does say. What does God actually say about those times when we sense we can't handle life? And we're going to turn to the Apostle Paul in kind of an autobiographical passage that he wrote in a letter he sent to his friends in Corinth. Now, Paul, you know Paul, Apostle Paul, he loved Jesus. He would do anything for Jesus. He experienced imprisonment because of his calling to follow Jesus. He experienced shipwreck. He was beaten. He was stoned nearly to death. Um, Just all sorts of things happened to him because of his faith in Jesus. None of those were the hardest thing he had to handle, however, okay? And he's going to talk through the hardest thing he faced was a chronic situation um, that just wasn't going anywhere. Here we go, Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 to 10. Paul writes, A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan, to harass me, to keep me from being too elated. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Have you ever done that? Have you ever said, God, take this away, and nothing happened? Paul is praying, he's praying, he's pleading, nothing is happening. But finally, the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest in me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So, just a little note about this text. We don't know exactly what the thorn in the flesh was. Scholars have been debating this for centuries. What exactly? We don't know for sure. Was it poor eyesight? Was it some painful, chronic disease that he had to endure? My guess, it was something like those things. It was because he says it was a thorn in the flesh, that it was something physical in nature, um, something painful in nature, And Jesus says, it's not going anywhere. I'm not answering that prayer in the way you want, Paul. Um, During three different seasons of prayer, it's not like he just prayed the same. Hey, God, uh, heal me, heal me, heal me. I, I imagine these are, he pleaded. Three seasons of pleading, of begging, of coming to God. Take this away. This is from Satan. Take this away. It, it. God said to him, Jesus said to him, Paul, my grace is enough. My grace is enough. 
My power is made perfect in weakness, in your weakness. Um, so Jesus says, it's not going anywhere. And if anyone, I mean, right? If anyone could have thought, look, I have enough faith. I have done enough for the kingdom of Christ. I have healed people. I've raised people from the dead by the name of Jesus. If anyone thought their prayer should be answered, would be answered, it was the Apostle Paul, right? And it wasn't. So I want to leave you with five things, I think powerful things, that we find in this passage that we can can kind of lean into when we feel like we have more than we can handle. And the first of these things Paul tells us is his presence. We can lean into his presence no matter what life throws at us. He says in verses 8 and 9, I pleaded with the Lord. He said to me, they have a relationship. He's taking it to the Lord. He's leaning on the Lord. He knows Jesus is there. He knows Jesus hears him. He, he knows Jesus is speaking to him. He turns to the Lord in his struggle. Paul knew he did not have to walk through it alone. He may have to walk through it, but he did not have to walk through it alone. And that is a promise not just for Paul. That's a promise for us. And one of my favorite passages of Scripture is Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 to 3. Listen to these words from God to us. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters... I will be with you. When you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Here's what it doesn't say. It doesn't say, look, if you pass through some storms occasionally. It doesn't say, if... You happen to to walk through the flames of life. It says when, right? It says when you walk through that time. And it doesn't say, I'm going to douse those flames. Does it? I'm going to make that water go away. God says, I will walk through it with you. I will be right by your side. You will never go through pain in life alone. You belong to me. I've called you by name. You're mine. There will be hurt. Newsflash. <laughs> there will be struggle. There will be confusion. There will be doubts. There will be floods in life, fires in life. And you will have to pass through those things. And God does not promise to take those away. He promises to walk right by your side through those struggles. And then Paul could hold on to that understanding he could also lean into something that we're invited to lean into, and it's this, his power, right? My power is made perfect in weakness, Jesus says. He says, this is happening to me, I now understand, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So when it comes to the idea, God will never give you more than you can handle, a more biblical idea is you can pretty much count on him giving you more than you can handle. 
pretty much bank on that. He does it so his power will be manifest in your life. If you could do it alone, you wouldn't need God. If you could handle it, if you never got anything that you couldn't handle, you would have no need for God. You probably, let's be honest, you probably wouldn't really turn to God all that often. If I could handle anything thrown at me, I wouldn't need him. Jesus lovingly tells Paul in the midst of his personal crisis... You need that weak spot, Paul. You need it. You need that thorn. I know that's not what you want to hear, Paul, but you need it. It's there so you can experience me. And there is no time in our life that we experience Jesus more fully, more more deeply, more powerfully than when we're walking through one of those moments. And also, next thing, lean into, lean into his people. Lean into his people. Paul tells us in that chapter, I was with you, Corinthians, I was with you through the good times and the bad. They had a lot of history together. They were doing life together, even though he wasn't physically there with them at the moment. Obviously, he sent a letter to them. But he had a relationship with those people in Corinth. They had been through all sorts of things together. They were woven into this body of believers by the blood of Jesus Christ, by the Spirit that united them. Just this this past week, I and I got to go up and visit uh, Riley and Jesse Chestnut, and many of you uh, know them and know probably what they're going through right now. I guess you could say they're going through one of those times when they have more than they can handle. Um, incredible, incredibly difficult moment in their journey right now for the Chestnut family. Uh, they're expecting a baby. In fact, they're going to go in and induce today, tonight. Baby JC, their first daughter, they have two boys. And they know medically this baby does not have a chance of surviving. They're not going to... I get to go to my daughter's graduation today, this afternoon. They're not going to see her graduate from high school. That's not going to happen. And they know that. They're enjoying the time they have with her in utero. Uh, They're hoping that they get some time, minutes, hours, a day with her Alive. They're hoping today that tomorrow they can see her alive. And that... It's more than they can handle. But when we were over at their home, they shared with us about how God has ministered to them through you. They could not stop talking about the brothers and sisters at Preston Crest. And so I, I messaged him this week. I said, hey, would you mind if I shared something about that, about what you said with Preston Crest on Sunday? And uh, here, was Jesse's, here was Jesse's response. He said, I'm all for it. I'd shout it from the balcony, but it still wouldn't convey how absolutely amazing this church has been. So grateful and humbled by the example that's being shown to me specifically by these people selflessly serving my family. Should I go on? I can, dot, dot, dot. And then Riley just said, I'm 100% with Jesse on that. So yeah. Lean into his people. That's a God-given gift. Also, we can lean into his purpose 
Paul says in verse 10, this is happening for the sake of Christ. What vision he has to be able to perceive it. This is happening for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of Christ. We have been saved by Christ so that we can live for Christ in whatever comes our way. The world will get the opportunity to witness us, to see us, see the Lord in us as we go through seasons of rejoicing and celebrating and seasons of of difficulty and pain and confusion. They'll see Jesus in us in all of those moments of life. One thing we can be assured of as believers This is something we have that that no one else has. We can be assured there is purpose in our pain. Paul says this is for the sake of Jesus. So finally, and this is where I really want to finish, we can lean into his perspective. Paul talks a lot about perspective in his letters to the Corinthians. Uh, The Lord sees way beyond, and we know this intellectually, but it's good to be reminded of it. He sees way beyond anything that we can see or perceive. Uh, He beholds eternity, right? Um, He knows how short-lived this life is here for us, how short-lived are the joys and the pains of this present life in the whole scheme of things. He sees the whole scheme of things. More than that, he knows exactly what he has planned for you. We have ideas. He knows exactly what he has planned for us. And so I love what Paul shares also in this letter, the second letter of 2 Corinthians in chapter 4. He writes these words. He says, that's why we never give up. That's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on things that cannot be seen, for the things we see now will be gone, but the things we cannot see will last forever. So this morning, the invitation is simple. The invitation is to get real and to not trust in empty sayings. And ideas like, God will never give you more than you can handle. The invitation is to trust in the true living God who will be with you to the very end and beyond. The living God who gave his own son so that you might be saved and experience eternal life with him. The Christ who loves you and who longs to reveal himself more deeply, more completely, um, and more powerfully in your life in a period of struggle than in any other period of time. To have that perspective and to hold on to him. If you are not a believer, if you've not accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you can do that today. You can do that before you walk off of this property this morning. Confessing your faith, trusting in his name, being baptized into Jesus, receiving those promises that he has for you. Or maybe 
Maybe you're at one of those moments when you have more than you can handle and you need prayer. And we're happy to help you with that this morning. You can pray with somebody there around you, a friend, a a neighbor there, or a small group, or or your connection class, or come down and pray with, with me and our shepherds. We'd be happy to help you as together we stand and give our lives to Christ.